ask you to turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 15. First Corinthians chapter number 15, I want to read for your hearing verses 1 through 10. We're going to be using quite a number of scriptural quotations this morning. You may or may not have time to turn to them as we're preaching, but I do want you to jot them down. There's not a thing in the world wrong with using your Bible as a notebook to put notes down in the Word of God because sometimes God will speak to you during the service and you'll forget about Him before you eat lunch. And if you write it down, you have a tendency to remember it a little bit better. And after all, isn't that what going to church is all about? Learning Scripture learning what God says in His blessed Word, not to entertain and not to tell little funny stories, but to teach the Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. The Apostle Paul writes these words, Moreover, brethren... I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you're saved, if we keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain." For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Could we just pause a moment right there in the reading? I have often wondered in that particular passage why it talks about Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He died according to the Scriptures. He rose again according to the Scriptures, but it just says He is buried. I didn't notice that till this morning. Why doesn't it say he was buried according to the scriptures? And then it dawned on me. It dawned on me. Two of those things talk about what Christ did. One of those things talk about what men did. Christ died for our sins. That deserves discussion. Who is he who died? Why did he die? Where did he die? According to the scriptures. He gives us instruction there. And that he rose again. Christ said, I've got the power to lay my life down and I have the power to raise it up again. How in the world is he going to do that? It's 
available for discussion. But you don't have to discuss a whole lot when you say, you know what, we buried him. Well now, what do you mean, do bur- he buried him? He did not bury himself. So he doesn't have to say according to the scriptures. Now, I tell you what, that isn't all that dynamic, but uh, give it some thought. If you can throw some light on that, I'd appreciate it. And that he was seen, in verse 5 of Cephas, then of the twelve, after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. That sounds like Baptist, doesn't it? Oh, come on, folk, wake up. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me as of one born out of due time. For I'm the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I'd like to borrow a statement in verse number 10. Paul said, but I, the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I want to speak, if God will allow me to do so, on the subject of what I am by grace. What I am by grace. Paul is very careful to set forth the nature of the gospel in these opening verses. He deals with the basic elements of the gospel, namely the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He then proceeds to give some evidences of the resurrection by listing some witnesses of our Lord after the resurrection. And folks, some of these are pretty heavyweight witnesses. There's Simon Peter. There are others. Notice four different times it is said he was seen. In verse 5, in verse 6, in verse 7, and verse 8. This isn't something they conjured up in their imaginations. This is something they saw. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter's mentioned here, that great preacher of Pentecost, actually saw the Lord after he was raised from the dead. And then there were 500 brethren, and they saw him all at the same time and reported it accordingly, and most of them were still living when this was written. James, who became the pastor of the Jerusalem church, he saw the resurrected Christ after he had risen. And then all of the apostles, all of these men that were with him from the beginning, they were men of great authority. Acts 1-3 refers to them as these words express to whom he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Paul then mentions himself as a last resort in verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, 
not meet to be called an apostle. Why, Paul? Because I persecuted the church of God. Can you imagine that? That one of the greatest men in the New Testament, Paul, said, I persecuted the church of God and I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. Nevertheless, he makes it clear that whatever he is, he is by the grace of God. And so were all of them. I believe this is true of the greatest Christian today. Take the best Christian you know, one who loves the Lord supremely, one who's a faithful servant of Christ, but all that he is, he is by the grace of God. No such thing as a man-made Christian. God makes Christians. This is also true of the weakest believer. You take the weakest Christian you know, one who continually stumbles and falls from time to time, one who lacks spiritual maturity and faithfulness, yet if he's saved, he too is what he is by the grace of God. I want to carefully analyze this text this morning in three different ways. Number one, by the grace of God, I'm not what I might have been. Number two, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And number three, by the grace of God, I will be everything God planned for me. You see, one day I'll be perfectly formed according to His divine image. Let's look at them. I am what I am by the grace of God. All right, the first one. By the grace of God, I am not what I might have been. Would you allow me to speak personally? And I don't just point my finger out. And every time I do point it out, I point the thumb right back at me. I'm speaking to you personally. This is what has been a fearful thought and is a fearful thought when I think what I might have become and what I might have been had not God Almighty interrupted my life and saved me. We need to continue to understand this, that the world is filled with wickedness, moral perverts, and spiritual degenerates. In 1 John 5, 19... He writes, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. May I remind you that the whole world was lying in wickedness in Noah's day. And the whole world is still lying in wickedness in our day. The Bible talks about it in detailed fashion. Let the scriptures speak for themselves. In Romans chapter 1 verses 29 through 32. Being filled. Notice the word there. Filled. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, 
covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, and not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Don't just necessarily have to do something wrong. Just get a great big kick out of watching those who do. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, that's the homosexual crowd, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's the thing. Were it not for the grace of God, I, Dan Cozart, would have been in the class of those people. And so would you. So how do you know that? Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 19. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. The human heart is an open sewer. And every one of us are born with that kind of heart. You're not going to like this next statement. But it is so. Even little babies are born with this kind of heart. There was a time when Judas Iscariot was a baby. And he wound up in his life selling the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Why? Because it was born in his heart to do that. Total depravity is one of the strong teachings of the Word of God. Makes it clear that we are born with a bad heart. And my dear friends, those things that we do simply emanate from the heart. That a man has got to not only have his head changed, he's got to have his heart changed 
if there's ever a difference in his life. There were 12 boys in my Sunday school class. I've shared this with you before. There were 12 boys in my Sunday school class when I was a junior. Now, I really don't remember any of that, but I was told at one time in my life I was a junior in Sunday school. Had 12 boys in my Sunday school class. One boy was killed by a school bus. The school bus backed up on top of him and killed him. One boy wound up in prison. And I wound up in the pulpit. I am what I am. By the grace of God. And I'm not what I might have been. By the grace of God. I'm not what I might have been. Number two. By the grace of God I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Robert Robinson wrote a hymn that we sing in our hymn book, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in that hymn are these words, O to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I am constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, Do you know what a fetter is? A fetter is a chain. A fetter is a shackle. Let thy grace, Lord, like a chain or a shackle, bind my wandering heart to thee. In other words, never forget what you might have been had not God had mercy on you. And displayed grace in your life. Every believer is indebted to the grace of God. We owe God for everything. Especially for his amazing grace. God did not have to save you. He could have passed you by. We sing this song in this church. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Have you ever wondered how many people he passed by to get to you? You say, well, I just thought he loved everybody. Straighten it out in your theology. He passed by so many to get to me. He passed by so many to get to you. Why did he do that? You owe him. I owe him. Romans 11 verse number 6. Grace cannot be mixed with the works of man. Grace is not a mixture of anything. It's pure. Pure. The scripture says, if it is by grace, it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. I'm not what I am. Because God foresaw some good in me. That God looked down, viewed the whole human race, and he saw Dan Cozart, he said, boy, what a find. That's wonderful. I believe he'd make a good Christian. And God was moved by what he saw in me. 
God did not elect me because he saw my potential. I had no potential. God knew that I would respond to the gospel when presented to me. And that's why he chose me. I've used this verse so many, many times and it's dog-eared in my Bible. The Lord looked down from heaven. (laughs) The Lord looked down from heaven to see upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. God looked down from heaven and took an evaluation of everybody that would ever be born to see if he could find somebody, somebody that did understand and seek God. What did he find? They're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. If salvation is based upon what God found in man, no person would ever be saved. Grace cannot be mixed with the works of man. In Romans 3, 10 and 12, there's none righteous. What does that mean, Brother Cozart? Well, it means there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that doeth good. Let that sink in a minute. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. So I'm not what I am because God foresaw some good in me. Neither I am not what I am because of my free will and my choice. I can assure you the night that God saved me, I was running as fast as I could, not to him, but away from him. I didn't want to have any part of him, so I was running away from him. The Bible says in Romans 3.11, there's none that seeketh after God. Did you know that? Nobody go looking for God. We don't have the spirituality to do that. We don't have the heart to do that. We don't have, we're not, we're not that way. The Lord Jesus said in John 15 verse 16, you've not chosen me, I've chosen you. Who does the choosing, my dear friend? Well, God he, he does a little bit of it. He has his part and I have my part. That's exactly right. I know what God's part is, but do we know what our part is? One particular preacher preaching on that subject said God's part was he is coming after me to save me. And my part was I was running away from him as fast as I could. That's it. No man seeks after God. In James chapter 1 verse 18, of his own will, he begat us. He begat us with the word of truth. There's a cross reference in John chapter number 1 verses 12 through 13 that says this. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name, which were born, that is, which were saved, not of blood. We were not saved because of our standing in society or 
had a good piece of fruit on the family tree, nor of the will of man or the will of the flesh, not because of anything I did or you did would ever bring that about, nor of the will of man, not even what other people wanted. My mother wanted me saved. My daddy wanted me saved. My family wanted me saved. You're never saved because of other people wanting it. God wants it. God desires it. And God does it. Not by the will of man, but of God. God's pure grace. I'm not what I am because I took the first step and God took the rest. Boy, I preached that for years. Until one day God showed me I was preaching a lie. I'm not what I am because I took the first step and God took the rest. You know, there's an interesting verse of Scripture. If we believe the Bible is the verbally inspired Word of God, and we do, and it is our only rule of faith and practice, and it is, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says to the Ephesian church, And you hath he quickened, that word means to make alive, and you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sin. Now, dead men cannot walk. That's why dead men will never come to Christ. You can visit the cemeteries all you want to. They're not doing physical calisthenics out there today. You know why? Because they're dead. You know why men don't come to Christ? Because they're dead in trespasses and in sins. Oh, you mean that crowd that didn't come to church today? No, that crowd that did come to church today. Dead in trespasses and in sin. Brother Cozart, it's quite possible that preaching like this will drive people off. Do you know that? That's what Brother Roloff came to the conclusion of why have a building program. Just stand up there and preach the Word of God and you'll have plenty of space. Huh? We're so conditioned. We want to be fed. We want to be stroked. We want to be complimented. We want to feel good. You'll never be saved till you feel bad. Are you listening to me? There's got to come a time in your life when you are fed up with you and I am fed up with me and that we love the Lord who made salvation real for us by dying on Calvary's cross, an effectual atonement that sealed our redemption in Him. God's grace is pure and unassisted by man. For by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. That faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. God bestowed grace upon His people before creation, according to Ephesians chapter number 1. 
In Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, Rebecca is talking about her conception. When Rebecca also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, and it speaks of the offspring of Rebecca and Isaac. For the children not being born, neither having done any good or evil. This is before they were ever born. Now, get this. The children not yet being born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. God elected Jacob and God passed over Esau. Do you believe that? Some of the brethren try to water that down a little bit. Said, well, whenever you read hate in the Bible, that doesn't mean hate. It just means you didn't love him quite as much as he loved Jacob. God wrote the names of his elect down in the Lamb's book of life before creation. In the book of Revelation chapter 13, verse number 8. All that dwell upon the earth shall worship the beast. This is talking about the great tribulation period. Whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There were names that were not entered into the book of life before the foundation of the world. But there were some names that were entered into the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. The disciples were sent on an assignment in Luke's gospel, chapter number 10, and they came back jubilant. Oh, they were so excited because demons had been cast out at their messages. And the things that they had done seemingly had such a great, great result. And they were just telling the Lord about all the things that had done. And the Lord made this statement. In Luke 10, 20, notwithstanding in this rejoice, not that the spirits or the demons are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Question. You're a believer in Jesus Christ today. When was your name written in heaven? Was it when you came down a church aisle, took the preacher by the hand, said, I just want to make a public profession of Christ, and God called on angel Gabriel, sign him up? Or before you were ever born, God saw you in Christ and put your name in the Lamb's book of life. That's why we're indebted to grace today. We didn't have anything to do with it. Now, wait a minute, preacher. Yes, ma'am. You didn't have a thing in this world. I provided the sinnerhood. 
I provided the sinner. God provided the Savior. God regenerates his people when they are spiritually dead. How does he do that? Ephesians 2, 5, Even when we were dead in sins, while we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved. We were quickened while we were dead in sins. What does it mean to quicken? It means that your daddy was an electrician and he said to you as a child, play with your toys, but don't play with a light socket. Don't ever do that. That's not a good idea. And dumb you and dumb me, we wondered what would it be like if I stuck my finger in that light socket, you lit up. You were enlightened. You were quickened. Do you understand this, dear friend? That before God saved you, actually saved you, as far as your looking to Christ and verbally saying, I trust Jesus Christ, He quickened your mind, He quickened your heart, He gave you ears that could hear and a heart that could feel. And for the first time in your life, you began to see things in a spiritual way. And he gave you the faith that you used to trust Christ as your Savior. Not my faith. Mine pretty skinny at times. God preserves his people in grace in Philippians chapter 1 verse number 6. He who hath begun a good work in you, get the, get, get the wording there. He who hath begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Salvation is of God in its beginning, in its continuation, and in its climax. God preserves his people. Now, number three. By the grace of God, I will be everything God planned for me to be. And so will you if you are a Christian. You'll be everything that God planned for you to be. God orders the plan for the believer's life. I want to give you some clear statements that are taught so clearly in the Bible. God orders the plan for the believer's life. You know what that plan is? In Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in them. He orders the plan. I have a lot of books in my study, one I've come to treasure so much. I know I brag about John Gill. And somebody needs to say amen to John Gill, all right. But this particular book is by Thomas Boston. Thomas Boston wrote a lot of good things. But this book, I don't think you could even buy it today. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I don't, it's so old. The name of the book is The Crook in the Lot. Thomas Boston, The Crook in the lot. The lot is our life. It's the road we travel. 
It's the things that happen to us. Not everything is going to be good. Once in a while, there's a crook in that lot. Sometimes it might be a divorce. Sometimes it might be a death. Sometimes it might be an open sin. But there's a crook in the lot that God has laid down for us. That's all right. He's going to bring us out on the other side. All things still work together for good to those that love the Lord. Steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in them. That's Psalm 37, verse 23. God secures the believer with grace. Not only does he save us, but he secures us, according to Psalm 37, verse 24. Speaking of the believer, though he fall, and we do, do we not? Though he fall, he'll not be utterly cast down. Why is that so? For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. How many times as a believer I have fallen, but God has always been faithful to uphold me with his hand. And he does the same thing for all of his children. God orders the plan for the believer's life. God secures the believer in grace. God works out his plan in the believer's life. It is not my doing or your doing in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not only, and pardon me, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now listen, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. God works it in, we work it out. If God doesn't work it in, we'll never work it out. He works out the plan in every believer's life. And grace reproduces the image of Jesus Christ in the believer. In the book of Romans chapter 8 verses 29 through 30. For whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate. To be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover whom he did predestinate. Them he also called. And whom he called. Them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. First hmm. John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We don't have all the answers about eternity or heaven, but we know this, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and one final thought on that third point is grace will safely lead us home Matthew 25 33 and 34 he shall set the sheep on the right hand but the goats on the left Then shall the king say unto them that are on the right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation 
of the world. God stayed busy, my dear friends, in eternity past, even as he does in present and eternity future. God keepeth Israel. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. He's busy doing what? Leading us safely home in this kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In conclusion, Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. What was Paul? This is opinion. I believe he was the greatest theologian. (laughs) It's difficult to read all of the epistles of Paul and not come out really just staggering over emote theology, doctrine, I believe he's the greatest theology professor. I believe he's the greatest preacher. I enjoy reading the sermons of Paul so very much. I believe he was the greatest missionary. Went into the only then known world to preach the gospel. I believe he was the greatest apostle. And that includes Peter, James, and John. I believe Paul was the greatest apostle. But what did he think of himself? Now this is what we think of him. It's what I think of him. But what did Paul think of himself? 1 Timothy 1.15 This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's what he thought of himself, of whom I'm chief. You need to understand Paul was a saint when he said that. He was not a practicing sinner when he said that. He was using the title that he felt appropriate to express his heart. I am the chief of sinners. Why did he think so little of himself? Because I persecuted the church of God. And so say we all, I am what I am by the grace of God. By the grace of God, I'll be everything that God planned for me to be. Isn't it exciting to watch God work? Isn't it a wonderful experience to feel God in your heart and in your life? And to know that Jesus Christ is not some little infant that was born in a Bethlehem manger scene, but that he is the living Son of God, God incarnate, and he lives within his people, and he does it all by his grace, by his mercy. Brother Cozart, are you saying that if I don't do this, and if I don't do that, and if I don't do the other, uh, in other words, I can't be saved, I'm saying this, my dear friends, if you're ever saved, God's got to do it. We don't have the power to do it. We don't have the ability to do it. I am what I am by the grace of God. Let's stand please for prayer.